Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, open them to the book of Revelation. We're going to be in chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. 12. And thank you to Brother Cliff and our instrumentalists and vocalists. Did a wonderful job of leading us in worship this morning. Well, as we all know, Christmas is now up on us. It is just five days away, and I hope that many of you will be able to come to one of our Christmas Eve services this Thursday. That is always a special time to pause and remember that Jesus is the true meaning of Christmas. And so, what can you expect if you come Thursday night? Just a very short simple, sweet service, just a time to come, to gather, to reflect on the true meaning of the season. So we hope that you'll join us for that. For most Americans, Christmas is a busy and exciting time. Lots of parties, lots of gifts, lots of buying gifts, lots of activity, maybe not quite as much this year as in most years, but nonetheless, a very busy, very stressful time, to be honest. But for Southern Baptists, for over 100 years now, Christmas time is a time of year when we emphasize world missions. And the primary way that we do that is through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Now, if you're not familiar with Charlotte Lottie Moon, she was a young lady who grew up in Virginia in the 1800s, a lady very small of stature. Get this, four foot three. That was her adult height, four foot three, very small in stature, but very big in personality and drive and heart. At 32 years old, Lottie answered God's call to serve as a career missionary in China. Uh, One Sunday, a few years prior, she had come to church, had listened to her pastor preach a sermon on missions, and she took on a burden after that sermon, and she wrestled with it all that Sunday afternoon. She said she went home, and she just couldn't get rid of this burden that God was calling her to the mission field. And so she surrendered to that, and a short time later, served as a career missionary in China. In fact, she served in China for the next 40 years until her death at age 72. She loved and served the people of that great land, often through great personal sacrifice and at the expense of her own health. Lottie was also a prodigious letter writer. During her time in China, she wrote thousands of letters back home to Southern Baptists, encouraging them and sometimes chastising them that they needed to be more committed to the work. At one point, she said, quote, the harvest is very great and the laborers, oh, so few, Why does the Southern Baptist Church lag behind in this great work? Because of Lottie's passion for missions, her commitment, her ability to inspire others, in 1912, Southern Baptist instituted an annual Christmas offering for world missions in her memory. Now today, there are over 47,000 Southern Baptist churches in North America. And collectively, all together, our goal in 2020 is to collect $175 million through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, 100% of which will go to directly support over 3,600 missionaries serving in every corner of the world. Not one penny of that goes to administrative costs or anything else. It goes directly to those missionaries. Now, in order to be good stewards of God's resources, 
I think it's important for us to be informed as to how our offerings are being used and the effect that they are having. So let me just share a few numbers with you. In 2019, through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and through the work of our International Mission Board, 535,000 people all around the world heard the gospel message. 48,000 people all around the world followed the Lord in believer's baptism, responding to that message in repentance and in faith. Last year, 18,600 indigenous pastors were trained. 12,400 new churches were started all over the world, and 827 distinct people groups all over the world were engaged by the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering and the International Mission Board. Now, we rejoice in those numbers, not for the number's sake in and of themselves, but because each one of those numbers represents a person. Each one of those numbers represents a changed life, represents an eternal soul. And here's the really neat thing. Because our church is part of the Southern Baptist family, because we as a church are part of this collective effort known as the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, because you individually do your part, and bring an offering and sacrifice for the spread of the gospel, then all of us have the honor and privilege of knowing that we are being used by God to save a people for himself from all over the world. And it just doesn't get any better than that. This is why we exist as a church. We exist to pray and give and go and disciple for the glory of God and for the spread of the gospel. We exist to fulfill the great commission and make disciples of all nations. And if we aren't doing that, if there ever comes a point we don't do that, we should just close the whole thing down and shut the doors because ultimately that's why we're here. And so I hope that you see how important causes like the Lottie Moon Christmas offering are to the fulfillment of our mission. Every Christian in this room has a responsibility to make disciples of all the nations. Every single one of us. Most of us in this room probably won't have the opportunity to do that ourselves. Although some of us can and should go on short-term mission trips and take the gospel directly to the nation if God provides us the opportunity and resources to do so. But most of us probably will not. So what do we do if we can't go ourselves? Well, one thing we do is that we give so that others can go. As William Carey once said, who was considered the father of modern missions, he said, something like this, I will go down into the pit, but you must hold the rope. The Lottie Moon Christmas offering gives us the opportunity to hold the rope to hold the rope for our missionaries, to hold the rope for our heroes, those who have been called to go to a foreign land and give their lives so that those who have never heard the name of Jesus may hear. One of my favorite stories is that many early missionaries, when they went to the mission field, they considered it a lifetime appointment. And what they would often do is they would pack their luggage in a casket. Now think about that. They said, I'm going to die over there. I know that. I'm going to give my life for the spread of the gospel. And so, hey, might as well make use of the empty space, I guess, and put their luggage in there and take it with them. Man, that's amazing. I challenge you. I exhort you to make a sacrificial gift 
between now and the 3rd of January to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for the glory of God and for the spread of the gospel. Pray about that. Pray about what God would have you to give and then give sacrificially and give cheerfully. And I know if each of us do that, we'll meet our goal of $5,000, our part in that $175 million goal, and we'll far exceed it. As we prayerfully consider what God would have each of us to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering this Christmas season, I think it's also important that we remember why we do missions in the first place. What's the goal of missions? What's the end game? What is the vision that compels us and drives us to to pray and give and go and disciple, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? And I think the answer to that question can be seen very powerfully in our passage today. And so I would like to read this. Would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word? And we're going to read Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. This is the vision that compels us to fulfill our mission. The Apostle John is writing, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations and tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders, and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. What a beautiful and powerful picture that we see portrayed in this passage. A great multitude of people gathered around the throne of God, giving him praise and glory. Now, you might be wondering, who are these people? Verse 14 actually tells us who they are. It tells us they are those who have come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. If you aren't familiar, the great tribulation is a time of great distress and trouble that the Bible says will fall upon the earth in the last days. Many of you know there are varying opinions among scholars as to the timing of the great tribulation and who will actually go through the great tribulation. And we're not going to get into all of that this morning. But one thing that is clear from verse 14 is that many Christians will lose their life in the great tribulation. Whether these are ones who come to Christ during that period of time or perhaps already were Christians when that time started, or, or maybe some of both. That really isn't significant for our purposes today. What is significant, what I do want us to see, is that when all is said and done, there will be a great multitude of all the peoples of the world worshiping before the throne of God the Father and before the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. These people, this group of people in this passage is representative of heaven as a whole. And brothers and sisters, this great multitude of people displayed in these verses is why we do what we do. You know, we take part in missions for a number of reasons, including the love of people. But ultimately, 
Because God is worthy of the worship of all the peoples of the earth. Now, to understand this multitude around the throne of God a little better, I want us to look at four characteristics of this multitude as found in our text. So let's work through these here for just the next few moments. The first thing I want us to see about the multitude is that the multitude is too great to number. It's too numerous to count. Think about a gigantic sea of people that you can't even begin to see the end of. What a wonderful feeling it is to know that the body of Christ reaches all over the world. The little mustard seed that Jesus talked about grew into a great and mighty tree. We have more brothers and sisters in Christ on this earth than we could ever fathom. Not to mention the ones who have gone before us into glory. It's so powerful that we are part of something so sacred and so precious and so much bigger than ourselves. So much bigger than just the Southern Baptist Convention. So much bigger than just the United States of America. We're part of the kingdom of God. At the same time, I also think about Jesus saying that the road to destruction is wide And there are many who travel it while the road to life is narrow. And there are few who find it. And I just have to think as I look at this passage, if the few who travel the road to life comprise a great multitude too numerous to count, how many must travel the road to hell and to destruction? That should sober us. That should break our hearts. Back to the multitude. The second thing about this great heavenly multitude is that it's incredibly diverse. It's comprised of people from all nations, all tribes, all peoples, and all tongues. Some of us may be surprised to discover that the demographics of heaven don't look a whole lot like southwest Missouri. One has said that The multitude in Revelation 7 is a colorful bunch. When we get to heaven, we will be pleased to find a vast array of people that do not look like us. There are going to be millions of Africans in that great multitude and plenty of Brazilians and Chinese and Filipinos and lots of Mexicans and Indians and Arabs. And if you think it's great to sing your favorite hymn in English, it's going to be even better When you hear it in Shona and Swedish and Swahili, you'll thrill to hear praise in Fong and French and Finnish and rejoice to see the throng spill out their songs in German and Japanese and Hausa and Hungarian and Quechuan and Kazakh and Korean. Heaven will be diversity without the political correctness, unified in one single purpose. Every heart, every head, every voice giving glory to God and to the Lamb. Won't that be wonderful? Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. I don't know if I'm allowed to still say that or not, but I just did. We must make disciples of the nations because our God is worthy of the worship of every tribe and tongue and nation on the earth. Third, 
we see that the multitude is clothed in white robes. The color white is symbolic in scripture of purity. It's symbolic of holiness. This stands for the fact that these people have been made pure and holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. When we repent of our sin and we put our faith in Jesus, according to Romans 5, it says that we are justified by his blood. To justify is a legal term. It's to pronounce a man guiltless, to acquit him of all charges brought against him, and to declare him to be righteous. This is what God does for us when we come to him through faith in Jesus Christ. To state it another way, you all have heard me say before, being justified is just as if we had never sinned. When God looks at the great multitude around his throne, he does not see the stain of their past sins, for those sins have been long forgiven. Instead, he sees only the multitude in their gleaming white robes. They are pure in his sight because they have been redeemed by the Lamb of God. And when we grasp this, it's so encouraging because Christian, here's the truth. When God looks at you right now, he sees the same thing. He no longer sees your sins that were dealt with on the cross. He sees only the purity and holiness of his son covering your sins in the white robe of righteousness. And if that doesn't fire you up to understand that your sins have been forgiven, that you've been washed whiter than snow, then as the old preachers would say, your wood is wet. Right? Those who will one day stand before the throne of God in heaven above are those whose robes have been made white by the blood of the Lamb. Fourth, the multitude worships. They worship. They worship God and they worship the Lamb. Verse 9 says the multitude has palm branches in their hands, which they no doubt wave as an act of worship. What does that remind you of? Takes us back to Palm Sunday, doesn't it? People lining the streets of Jerusalem, waving their palm branches as the Savior rode by. And not only do they wave palm branches, but they cry out, it says, with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And if the great multitude worshiping is not enough, then verse 11 says, heaven joins them. The angels, the elders of heaven, the four living creatures, which it talks about elsewhere in this book, they all fall on their faces in reverence to God, and they join their human counterparts in worship, declaring, as it says in verse 12, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. What an awesome thought to consider that even now, when we lift our voices to God in praise and worship, singing lyrics such as holy, 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 that the angels and elders and living creatures join with us. Why? Why do we worship? Why do they worship? Because God is worthy. 
He is worthy of the worship of every created thing. He is worthy of the worship of all the peoples of the earth, everything in heaven above and in the earth beneath. But again, back to our text. I just want us to wrap our minds around what an incredible scene this is. What an incredible scene is being described here. A sea of people more numerous than anyone can count, comprised of every tribe and tongue and nation on the earth, praising God. Brothers and sisters, this amazing little snapshot of heaven that we have in these verses, you know, the Bible honestly doesn't talk a whole lot about what happens in heaven. Here's one of the few places we get just a little snapshot. And this little picture, this little Polaroid of heaven is why we do what we do. This, this multitude, this is the goal. This is the end game. This is what compels us to pray and give and go and disciple because God is worthy of the worship of all the peoples of the earth. And I want to make something clear as well. I want to clarify this. It's not that he needs us to help him do that, right? God is God. He's all-powerful. He's sovereign. He doesn't need us for anything. But he calls us and he invites us to join him in his great plan of redemption. Psalm 67 says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Jesus says in Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations and then the end will come. Until Jesus comes back, we must be about the business of taking his gospel to all the world. This is what he calls us to. This is what he invites us into, this great mission. Missiologists tell us that there are still, and no one knows the exact number, honestly, but this is an estimate, there are still 7,070 unreached people groups in the world. In 2020, these are tribes and groups of people who have never had any meaningful, significant exposure to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That seems impossible, doesn't it, in this day and age? They may have cell phones, even deep in the jungle. They may drink Coca-Cola, but they don't know anything about Jesus. And church, we cannot let that happen. We're called to take the gospel to them. The International Mission Board estimates that 155,000 people die every day in this world and go into an eternity in hell without knowing Christ. People are waiting to hear. People are dying and they're going to hell. We must tell them the good news. The theme of this year's Lottie Moon Christmas offering is a great multitude and you, and you. As carriers of the gospel, you and I have a role to play in that multitude standing before God's throne and worshiping him. Our role is to be faithful, 
to take the gospel to the nations so that they, upon hearing the word of God, can by the grace of God exercise saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's what this offering is all about. And so again, I would ask you, pray, ask God, what would you have me to give? What is my part? And we know with God, it's never about a dollar amount. It's always about the level of sacrifice. What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to give up that you would otherwise have so that others may hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? And then whatever amount that God puts on your heart, will you please be obedient to give that? In closing, we've talked much today about taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations of the world. And that is so very important. But at the same time, we know and we understand that there's plenty of lostness as well, right here in our own community. In fact, there may be someone here today who has never truly repented of your sin and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If that is you, please know that being a good person cannot save you. That belonging to a Christian family cannot save you. That being a faithful church attender cannot save you. Merely reciting a prayer and being baptized, even that by itself will not save you. The only thing that will save you is truly and genuinely surrendering control of your life to Jesus Christ. And if the Holy Spirit is convicting you that it is time to give your life to Jesus, please don't put that off. You don't have to be in the church house, although conveniently you are right now. You don't even have to be with a preacher to become a Christian. You cry out to God anywhere you are, anytime, including right here and right now where you sit and say, Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. I believe with all my heart that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin and that you raised him from the dead. And because I believe that, I commit my life fully to him. And if you make that commitment, if you surrender your life, God will meet you right where you're at and he will save you to the uttermost and he will give you eternal life. If you're ready to give your life to Christ or maybe you've already done so and you just haven't gone public with that, Please, see me after the service. I would love nothing more than to visit with you, to pray with you, and to talk to you about what it means to be a Christian. All right, I think that's good for today. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Let's go to the Lord. Father, thank you for this time that we have had in your word. Thank you for this passage in Revelation 7, which does give us this little glimpse into heaven. Lord, we praise you because we do know that one day there will be a people from every tribe and tongue and nation, not one single people group left out, all represented around your throne in heaven above. Father, help us to keep that vision first and foremost in our own minds, Lord, and in the collective mind of our church. Help us, Lord, to be about the mission. Help us to be obedient to do our part in that. Lord, thank you for being such a loving and merciful God. Thank you, Lord, for being a God who saves. Thank you for saving us. We pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen.